all of public health is building relationships. You know, no one person can do this work alone. Um, and you can just extrapolate on that. No one organization can do it alone. No one discipline can do it alone. Uh, and so I was working, I considered, I've always considered the groups I'm working with partners, right? Like it's gotta be a give and take. There's gotta be that trust. We have to lean on each other for each other's expertise. So that's the mindset I've always gone into public health with. She and I chatted and we were like, gosh, there's just so much opportunity here. And I think it just shed such a huge light on on the important work that we were doing in both education and trainings and also from the response level at the you know state and local and federal levels. And, and we started thinking about what would it be like to do work at a project in a project focused level? Um, and so we started designed Parasol Health Consulting um, as part of our, our own personal response to what's next in our career and how can we help make important things for organizations happen for them in a project-based scenario. Welcome to Public Health Careers. I'm your host, Omari Richards, founder of the Public Health Millennial. We're going to dive deep into public health topics and career journeys. You'll hear diverse career stories, absorb professional development and career strategies, get tips while also learning from others to help you in your own journey and learning of public health. Learn about the vast world of public health, public health careers, or just hear public health stories. Stay tuned so we can do our part towards a culture of health, well-being, and equity for all. Hey friends, welcome to Public Health Careers. Today we have co-founders of Parasol Health Consulting coming on to share their stories. Parasol Health Consulting aims to create better health and public health programs under the umbrella of science and strategy. They cover public health needs through design, education, strategy, training, speaking engagements, and partnership development. The co-founders of Parasol are Dr. Ronel L. Brew and Diana Yasani. Dr. Ronel Brew has a combined 25 plus years of higher education, management, online teaching, research, training, and public health practice expertise. She is a director of a graduate level MPH program while also being a full-time professor and formerly served as chair of the department. She received a bachelor's of science in public health education and promotion at Southern Connecticut State University and then received three degrees at Columbia University, which include a Master of Arts in Health, a Master of Science, and a Doctor of Education in Public Health Education and Promotion. Diana Yasani began practicing public health 29 years ago. She thrives when providing organizational leadership and partnership coordination. Diana works full-time at Parasol Health Consulting, where she focuses on public health strategy, public-private partnerships, and organizational resiliency. Before this, she worked over a decade at the Center for Disease Control and Prevention in several roles, the last being the lead for the Strategic Partnership Immunization Services Division. She received her Bachelor of Arts in Child Development at California State University, Northridge, and her MSED in Health and Sexual Health Education at Teachers College, Columbia University. These public health experts joined forces through their collegiate friendship and public health intersections to co-found a health-related consulting firm, Parasol Health Consulting. In this episode, you'll hear and learn more about why Diana and Ronell have chosen a second career as consultants, the eye-opening moments in their careers in academia and governmental public health, as well as how to connect and work with Diana and Ronell at Parasol Health Consulting, and much, much more. 
And before we get to the episode, if you've been looking for a community to deeper connect and learn in public health and build your brand, well, be sure to join our early access waitlist for the community that the public health millennial is creating. The doors will be opening soon and will only be open for a short period of time. So be sure to join the community waitlist to get more information on that. Now enjoy the episode. Hi, this is Diana Yasani. And Dr. Renell Brew. We are co-founders of a public health consulting firm, Parasol Health Consulting, and you are listening to Public Health Careers. Ronell, Diana, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have both of you all here today. Thanks. We're happy to hey. be here. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, it's my pleasure. I know I connected with Ronell back at APHA, and I was very excited to to learn more about the work that she's doing. And then she she looped me in with Diana and and the consulting work that you all are doing. And I'm really excited to learn more about it as well as share more about it today. Excellent. Awesome. So before we get into anything, how do you all identify and tell us a little bit about your personal backgrounds? Sure. So I'll start. Uh, I am. Um... I identify as she, her. I'm a white female with long brown curly hair and glasses. I live in Atlanta, Georgia, where I'm, and when I'm not working on public health initiatives, I'm at the softball field cheering on my daughter or cooking Moroccan and Mediterranean food with my husband. And I am Renelle Brew, and I um, use pronouns she, her, and I am a white female with somewhat long, wish it were longer, blonde hair. Um, and I reside in Grand Rapids, Michigan uh, with my husband and two daughters. Um, when I am not working, I am often at a tennis court somewhere cheering on my daughters um, or at the gym doing some type of fun workout like bar or weight training. Awesome. I love that. And before I get into this, this is a good random question that came up because I hear the theme <laughs> of like family being important in the work that you're doing. Like, how do you all incorporate or ensure that you're censoring family while you're doing this amazing work? Oh, uh, well, for me, um, I live in the house with another public health official. So I, we are very focused on teaching our daughter and her generation. She's in high school about the importance of public health. And um, for me, women's health and Title IX sports initiatives and student athletics and youth athletics um, and just making um, my daughter and her friends as strong as possible. So it's, it's ever present in our lives. Yes, and I would actually say the same um, in a different <laughs> way because my daughters are younger than Diana's, um, but I have a, a six and an eight-year-old. And I feel like since day one, that's been something that's been really sort of priority number one for us is in raising our children as well as just sort of all things, public health that are connected to everyday life. And um, I'm a teacher at heart. So one of the things that was really important to me in raising our daughters is to think about just how public health impacts your every day. And um, starting with the, you know, at, at the very youngest ages about, um, you know, all public health practices. So everything from, you know, my kids go outside and ride their bicycles, it's a helmet and they don't think twice about it, right? Or, <laughs> um, you know, safe in the car, um, healthy eating. So we're just trying to incorporate everyday lifestyle uh, behaviors that are very connected to public health because I'm a big believer that um, youth are sponges, right? And you're setting the tone for who they become as adults. And so for us, it's just been really important to sort of infiltrate that into our everyday lives in our, in our homes. 
Absolutely. And lifestyle is public health and being being able <laughs> to shape a healthy life and healthy community, which is also considered your family is, is very important. And I, I love this because I think I was having a conversation yesterday around how poor public health does it marketing public health. And I think one of the first ways that we can do this is just sharing with our families, sharing with our children, like what is public health, why it's important and really like sure. taking that to the lifestyle things and how it really impacts our, not only our lives, but the communities that we are working in and being a part of. So I really like that. So Ronell, as a director of a graduate level MPH program, tell us how you're working to prepare and inspire the next generation of public health professionals. Yes, um, that's a great question because it definitely is uh, my day to day when I think about, you know, the, the focus on workforce development today post pandemic, um, I think really shed some light on the importance of what it looks like to be in a classroom and training that next generation of public health professionals. Um, I like I shared just now with our, our family stories, I, I feel like I live and breathe public health. It's all I know, all my background and degrees are in public health. Um, and so I try to be a champion for that, right? So uh, I think as a as an educator, you know, being the person in front of a classroom um, in my graduate classrooms, uh, just sort of showing how passionate I am about the field of public health and the topics and the issues that we're um, dealing with every day in our field, um, being able to to give that passion to our, our next generation, I think is really important. Um, and teaching evaluations, I often get, you know, she's just so in love with the field of public health. And <laughs> I feel like if if my students walk away in a, in a classroom that, and they feel that from me, they're going, you know, I think innately they're going to feel it too, you know, so to be able to, to give and gravitate that excitement about the field and what they're about to do as they go off and become public health professionals is really important to me. I've been in the field for, you know, close to 30 years and I feel like that the passion for public health has never worn off for me. And so I feel like that's where, you know, connecting the teaching piece is, is really um, why I do what I do every day is, is because I feel so strong about the field and being able to like give that to the next generation and have them excited about the field when they go out and become our, our next level of workforce, right? We're counting on this next generation to, you know, take us into the next um, public health issues. And, and so training them up in that way with passion and fury for the field, I think is, is important. And Diana, you lead the federal retail pharmacy program at the CDC, where you said it was, quote, the most historic and fulfilling project I've had the opportunity to develop. The program was a major component of the federal government's strategy to provide COVID-19 vaccines to the American public. Tell us more about this experience. Sure. So, so I did lead it. Um, it doesn't actually exist anymore. Uh, the federal retail pharmacy program was the CDC and the uh, U.S. government's um, mission to provide COVID vaccine. So COVID vaccine didn't really start rolling out till late 2020, early 2021. And I helped build out and there was a very small team. Um, in fact, I think the U.S. population would be surprised at just how small the team was that managed 21 retail and independent uh, pharmacy uh, uh, collaboratives to get out um, vaccine within uh, nine, the statistic was 90% of the population had COVID vaccine within five miles of their home because of pharmacy 
um, being able to add to the public health and clinical um, vaccinator programs across the country. This was this is a scale and an initiative. We had 41,000 pharmacies at the peak of um, vaccine rollout. And um, I stepped into, eventually I was helping support it while I was working in the office of the director. Um, when you're at the CDC, you have to often wear multiple hats, just like anywhere in public health. <laughs> it's the same at CDC. So I had my day job hat on as um, the lead of public-private partnerships for the agency. And then I was also helping coordinate partners within the COVID vaccine program from, from the pharmacy side, and then ended up taking that over. Um, really, to that scale, uh, it's the only time I've ever been able to work on something, you know, from coast to coast uh, and, and and territories you know it was it was the the most impact i have ever um personally been able to contribute to and i hope it's the most i'll ever have to i hope that no one has to be in that situation again um but i was put into a position and i'm proud to be able to say that that was part of what i did that is both amazing on both of your sides. <laughs> um, first on like the giving the passion to the to the public health students and really like ingraining that into them and instilling how important this work is 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 very important. And then shout out to you for Diana for like, kudos for that important work getting the vaccines out and really ensuring that that people had access to it five miles from their house. I could only imagine how much work that 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 took and um, I'm glad that you were able to lead some of that work. So combined, you all co-founded Parasol Health Consulting. You have a team of subject matter experts to support your company's work and you all do phenomenal work. How did you all envision starting this organization? Oh, Renelle, take that one. <laughs> yeah, this is this is where it gets fun, right, in our career. So between Diana and I, we have 50-something years of experience in public health, right? And so our story, we have to give a little bit of a backdrop here. Um, so Diana and I went to college together. So we met in graduate school in New York City at Columbia University Teachers College um, back in the early 2000s. And she and I were in uh, a variety of class, master's level classes together um, because we were in health education and promotion and that was sort of our track. And so we overlapped um, throughout the time that we were in graduate school and became dear friends, right? So it, it always starts, I think, um, at the graduate level where you're, you know, in group-based projects and all these fun things, and you really get to know your, your cohort and your colleagues um, at the education side. So she and I became good friends in the in the collegiate classroom and uh, went off and, and did very different things in our careers with public health um, over the last 20 plus years. So in comes COVID-19, right? And so she is, you know, knee deep in all things response at the CDC. And I am making everyday shifts in the classroom to figure out how to navigate this um, fast moving, quick turning online world that we weren't ready for. And she and I started talking during um, the COVID-19 response and just, you know, sharing about how, you know, some things went well with public health and how we got a bad reputation in some ways. And, um, you know, unfortunately in public health, we just didn't know, you know, no one that's living is, it has experienced a, a, a pandemic. Right. And so there was a lot of, um, you know, 
just boots on the ground, doing the best we can. Um, and we were experiencing it in our own respective ways in our fields. And so she and I chatted and we were like, gosh, there's just so much opportunity here. And I think it just shed such a huge light on, on the important work that we were doing in both education and trainings and also from the response level at the you know state and local and federal levels. And, and we started thinking about what would it be like to do work at a project in a project focused level. Um, and so we sort of designed Parasol Health Consulting um, as part of our, our own personal response to what's next in our career and how can we help make important things for organizations happen for them in a project-based scenario. And so, I don't know, Diane, you can add to that, but that's that was sure. sort of what happened is, is we just sat back and thought, gosh, we could really do some very important work for organizations and, and make the, you know, their projects happen um, faster, more efficiently um, in a time where public health really needed additional hands and boots on the ground. So add to that, Diana, if you want. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the, the things I would add, um, especially with the theme of this podcast, Omari, is um, we were building this kind of in the background. We had our day jobs. We were trying to keep our families together, just like everybody, right? So I had 60 to 80 hour work weeks, you know, seven days a week, all this, you know, stuff. And Rennell was doing the same kind of thing in her world and then trying to, you know, maintain some semblance of sanity for our families. And we were building this in the background. Um, you know, we would get off of work and find hours that didn't exist to write up our business plan, to develop mock-ups of websites, to, you know, fine-tune some of the tools and resources we offer, um, all in the background. So that was, so it was very intentional. It took us a couple of years to really build it out. Um, we've been talking about it for ages, uh, but it took years to build this out in the background before we were ready to launch. Um, and the other thing that's exciting about project-based consulting that was motivational uh, for us is, at least for me, um, working in the federal government, you get really myopic. You know what's happening in the federal space, you know what's happening in state state health departments, you know what funding is going out and the projects that are based around that funding, but public health is everywhere. And it has mm -hmm. been really exciting to see the work of public health. And sometimes it's not always called public health, but it's public health work. And so it's been cool to contribute to projects outside of, um, you know, kind of one track of public health. Mm -hmm. That is enlightening and I think important <laughs> for a lot of people to hear, especially when a lot of us might be thinking we might want, we want to do consulting or we want to do meaningful work that's outside of our job. We're just realizing that many times a lot of our jobs are very, they take a lot from us and we only have 24 hours in a day and then we also have the other commitments out of that. So just, I, I think like kudos to you all for understanding that those were the ch inherent challenges there. And then also taking the time and putting and putting the time aside to actually build this out and continue to build it out and to actually launch it. Because I could imagine a lot of people have mm -hmm. done the planning but haven't launched it. So what what was that that process from like going from okay, we're working on this in the background, we're building a business plan to actually launching? Sure. So I will say that that we neither of us, and I will speak for you, Renelle, because we've talked about this too, is um, <laughs> we could not do it without the support of our families. Um, our daughters, our 
partners, uh, our parents, you know, that this is something that they've had to encourage. Um, Ranel and I don't mm -hmm. come from high risk um, positions. Like it's very safe to be in the federal government. Academia is relatively safe. So stepping out to be entrepreneurs um, is in our blood, but it's, mm -hmm. it's a, definitely a step out of the comfort zone. And so, so we really did need the support of our families, um, you know, to make the leap. Yeah, and I would say too, you know, the, I think the biggest thing has been um, us, it, it's a learning curve, you know, so becoming entrepreneurs mm. and going into the business aspect of um, public health is, was new for us, right? So, um, and I, I completely echo the support of our partners, um, you know, understanding that business background. My husband's actually in business. So, um, you know, here and there, he'd pop his head into our, our Zoom planning <laughs> calls and um, shed some light on some, you know, business school knowledge for us. And that, that was always really helpful and appreciated because I think the biggest piece in terms of, um, you know, just the, the intention behind and then the time that it took us to Build and develop in the backdrop. Um, the the consulting firm is um, it, it took it took time and it took us uh, learning in spaces that we were uncomfortable. And I think that's been kind of exciting. You know, everything from um, you know contracts to budgeting and and scheduling and all of those things that um, it, you know are just uh, new to being co-founders of a business. Um, so you know, it's, it's exciting. It's a little, sometimes it was a little frustrating and a little frazzling for us to, to learn. And sometimes we've learned a few things the hard way. Um, but also just, you know, every day is something new and I can't, I can't say how many times today and I, we've, we've said, well, that was a good learning experience, you know, and, um, in the backdrop, you know, to, to just be able to, to build and, and grow, um, as a business and as, as two female entrepreneurs is, is exciting and also a little daunting at the same time. Yeah. And Omari, you mentioned um, the fact that we're a firm, that we've got subject matter experts around. Um, I'll just speak to that too, because while Renelle and I have tons and tons of experience, we know that we are not, you know, uh, all knowing. And there are so many uh, expertise areas in public health that we wanted to be able to offer clients, um, you know, a variety of things just that aren't just us. And we have this massive network of either, um, you know, other consult small consulting firms that are willing to collaborate with us um, or subject matter experts that are looking for additional projects as, you know, as part of their day jobs or they're retired and are looking for specialized work. Uh, and, and it's just fabulous to keep um, people who are just coming out of their MPH programs and kind of figuring out what to do to retired MD, MPH, you know, super seasoned epidemiologists who have been through 17 outbreaks. Like, it's very nice to have um, this wide range of subject matter experts that can come in on a case by case, -by -case basis and we can learn from them too. Yeah. And I think it's grown, you know, the opportunity uh, that is available to us and the breadth and depth of, of projects, because I think one of the things that we love so much about public health is the diversity of the work. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's something that um, as an educator, I always say, you know, you you can do so many different um, roles and responsibilities yep. over the course of a career in public health. And we've done that in a sense. But then building out the subject matter expert um, pool has just given us so much more leverage to, you know, look at new projects and projects that are even a little bit out of our comfort zone for mm -hmm. them to come in and to assist, which has been really exciting, I think, as we've grown the firm. 
that that's also very enlightening and and I, I think it's important for all of us to understand that we all have like quote-unquote niches or like as we were saying, subject yeah. matter expertise we have expertise in certain areas and we have to realize that we are good in some areas and other people are good in other or we are great in some areas <laughs> and other people are great in other areas and really have to find those complementary type of people when we're doing our work you all spoke to building out the subject matter expertise mm. You all spoke to having like broad networks from just being in the public health work. So was it that you all just from being in, in career, working with people, you all built out the subject matter expertise, or was it more so that you all had that network, you all said to people, hey, we're starting consulting, we're looking for these types of people, we're looking for these types of firms. What, what was that process like? Uh, both everything, mm -hmm. all of the above. Um, you know, I, public health is about partnerships and it's about collaboration. It's about those community engagements, but um, school doesn't really have a formal class in, you know, building trust. They always talk about building trust for public health, but like building that trust <laughs> and those relationships um, from day one and maintaining them takes a ton of energy, but that way you can pick up the phone and talk to somebody and you know about their families or you know about where you know their career has led them and they're willing to keep going with you and and know you um there's nothing like working with a potential client who says we're already fans of you as people and so we want you know we know that you're going to work with us and we're going to do great things together and they know that you're sincere and that you're good for it like that you're going to be able to do the work so um I've been very fortunate, and it was something I brought with me, being the first and only lead of public-private partnerships for CDC, and doing partnerships and preparedness and response before that. So I definitely took my address book uh, because those are relationships I built for a long, 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 long time, and a lot that I had before federal government even. So, um, so at least from that side and private sector and philanthropy, I was able to bring that to the table for our collaboration. And I would say, too, you know, so Amari, we met sort of walking in the expo hall of the American Public Health Association Conference yeah. uh, in Atlanta, right? And so um, I've been attending that conference for over 20 years, and it's amazing <laughs> how, you know, public health is is very diverse, and there's lots of different spaces that you can be in as a, in a career of public health, but actually how small it is as well. So, you know, after even just attending APHA for all those years, like, I can't turn a corner left or right without knowing or seeing someone. Um, Diana and I had an amazing networking uh, experience when we were in Atlanta and we brought partners and clients um, together in Atlanta. And it was surprising. I mean, we sent a, a pretty large um, number of invitations out and it was amazing how many people were planning to be in Atlanta because of that conference. And so um, the connections and, you know, the world of public health, especially after being in it, like the two of us have been for almost three decades, uh, it's smaller than you think. So there is, you know, those contacts and being able to call on folks you've worked with in the past um, has been really wonderful to leverage, I think, um, as in starting off this firm. Mm -hmm. And another through line I'm hearing there is just in ensuring that you are being, uh, in whatever space you're taking up in work, that you are being a good steward of your personal brand as you're building your career sure. so that when it comes that point in time, when you want to start a consulting firm, that you do have those good connections uh, to reach back out to, to, to hear their insights and get their perspectives. And we'll get more, we'll get back to hearing more about the consulting work that you'll do. And we want to get a little bit into your career journeys. And before we get into that, what does public health mean to both of you? 
you start right now. Sure. Um, so my background, it has always been health education and promotion. Um, people who know me really well know that my favorite word I had, to, I, at one point I decided I was going to pick a favorite word in public health. And so my favorite word is prevention. So when I think about public health and what it means to me, it's all things prevention. There's so much that we do in our field that could be prevented. And I, as much as I love our interdisciplinary work with clinical um, medical uh, experts, I am a firm believer that our jobs in public health really is to keep people healthier as long as possible, right? To keep them out of those clinical spaces for as long as we can do that. And so our programs and our education um, all lends itself to the prevention side. So for me, it's prevention. It's um, communities as a whole. So obviously public health really um, does a, a nice job of looking at full-blown communities and what that looks like to have a healthy community. Um, I've spent a lot of time learning about um, blue zones and the places where people are living um, longer, healthier, happier lives. So that healthier communities piece is really important to me when I think about what public health means. And I also am a strong believer in science. So <laughs> evidence-based research is what we teach us in, in our, our students in the classroom, that it's got to be driven from evidence-based research. So I'm going to say prevention, um, healthy communities overall, and science is what it means to me. Yeah. And I will add um, uh, social justice and empowerment. Um, you know, I think that this whole um, jargon, so I work with private sector a lot, right, and did before I left CDC. And um, there was this big upsurgence um, of, um, you know, paying lip service to DEI initiatives and, and all of these things. And, and it's, 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 it's not something that can be seasonal, uh, right? And so empowering people um, to have access to Rennell's point to live their longest, healthiest lives. Um, and that means, um, you know, I think that the term upstreaming, um, coined back in the in the 2012 2014 time frame is really that idea of getting to the source of social determinants and um, making every community better um, the fact that any adverse childhood event happens that the fact that anyone gets um, you know uh, misdiagnosed or can't get to healthy food or you know going down the laundry list is an injustice that that we all play a role in writing and thank, thank you for sharing that. And those uh, broad concepts that definitely encompass a lot of what public health is and what we are trying to accomplish in public health. Before we get back to the show, are you looking to be part of a community of like-minded people to grow your public health career and impact? Come join the Early Access Waitlist. If you feel like you're forever balancing competing priorities, struggle to stay up to date with the newest trends in public health, or want to upskill your professional development, you're not alone. Come join our growing community of public health change makers where you can connect authentically, create meaningful relationships, build your brand, and discuss various career and public health insights. Early access to the community will open for a brief period of time starting on February 14th, so be sure to join the waitlist so you have the opportunity to be a founding member and help us build a stronger public health community together. Now back to the show. I'm going to get into your career journeys. I do not have enough time to get deeply into both of your career journeys because it is an extensive journey of a lot of leading. So I will recommend anyone who's listening to this to connect with Renell, connect with Diana on LinkedIn, look at their, their careers, reach out to them if you want to learn more. We're just going to be going over a, a little brief summary of some of the important things that you'll have done in your career. So I'll, I'll speak to Renell first. So Renell. Talk about your journey towards your EDD 
at Columbia University, starting with your Associates of Arts and Science at Kalamazoo Valley Community College. Yeah, what a path, right? Um, so it's one of the more fun paths that I like to share, especially with, um, you know, the next generation kind of trying to figure out who they're going to become, because I don't know that I knew who I was going to become when I started out in college. My my father was actually uh, a professor at Kalamazoo Valley Community College when I was a young person and really sort of set the tone for me for, you know, what it looks like to go to college and, you know, have that, that um parent that is in that space, right? So he was a welding professor and he said all students should start at a community college, right? And so that was instilled in me as a as a young person. So start at a community college. That's a space where you can help to, you know, figure out where your journey is going to take you. Um, you could do all your general general education um, credits fiscally responsible uh, responsibly and and I listened, right? So I, I took the lead. Dad said, go to Kalamazoo Valley Community College. And so that's what I did. So um, against all odds, because my all of my friends want, you know, went off to these great four-year institutions and I went to community college. And I think at the time I felt a little defeated about the idea of it, but it's honestly probably the smartest thing I ever did in hindsight, right? So I, I encourage the, the journey to start in community college. Um, I actually started out in nursing school at, at the Associates level. So that's where I started my journey. Um, I met a friend uh, who was going to school in Connecticut. And so um, I originally knew I wanted to go away for college. It was kind of like a life goal for me to leave Michigan where I'm born and raised and had done, you know, all of my growing up years in Michigan and met a friend that was in Connecticut and went out to visit um, while I was uh, finishing up my associate's degree and explored some schools in and around New Haven, Connecticut. And um, at the time, Southern Connecticut State University had one of three undergraduate public health programs in the country. So this is, I'm going to date myself, you know, back in the 90s um, when public health bachelor's degrees were not as popular. So um, that's what landed me at Southern Connecticut State University. I had a great experience there. Um, I did everything backwards. I actually moved into the dorms as a senior um, after having lived in an apartment at community college. So I you know, I just I tried to make my my college career really lively, right? Do everything just all wrong. Um, so I, I became an RA and I, I lived in the dorms my senior year and I was really active at Southern Connecticut State. I started a student organization for public health um, and I was just, you know, all in at that point in public health. That was where I knew my journey into public health was was a definite um, uh, career plan for myself. Um, then I moved to New York. So I promised my family I was coming home to Michigan. Um, but it turns out that when you have a bachelor's degree in public health in the 90s, um, people ask you, where did you get that degree from? Because everyone has master's degrees in public health, right? So um, I quickly realized that I needed to get a master's degree. Um, I moved myself to New York City, uh, took my first job um, working in public health. I, I actually worked for about 10 years in public health uh, practice before I ended up in academia. Um, so all the while doing my master's and my doctorate um, at Columbia University, I was working full time. Um, and yeah, so I landed uh, in my, my master's and my doctorate all at Columbia University. It was really built because 
Um, I started off doing, I was just going to do the one master's degree and I ended up getting a job at New York Presbyterian Hospital working on an adolescent asthma study um, that was funded by the National Institutes of Health. And uh, one year funding became two year funding, became three year funding. And um, I thought it would be a good idea to get a degree every one of those years. And so um, master's <laughs> one, master's two and master's uh, you know, into my, my doctorate was sort of an accident really is how that all happened. Um, I was doing my, my first master's degree and I thought teaching could be interesting. So I went off and I, um, I did a, I, I taught a wellness 101 course at the borough of Manhattan community college while I was getting my master's degree. And I absolutely just fell in love with the idea of teaching. And that sort of, um, created my path for health education and promotion and into education for my EDD. So I felt like my jobs as well as my education were kind of coinciding and like, coexisting with one another. And it was incredibly fun to tell the story when I worked at um, BMCC to students, you know, that were kind of like, oh, wellness 101. I want to, I don't want to take this class and I don't want to be here at community college. And I would start every class off with my introduction of, I started out at community college and um, the students loved that. You know, I said, you can start out at community college here at BMCC and, and hopefully someday I'll see you at Columbia. You know, and I felt like that was also kind of an inspirational story to be able to tell when I started my teaching career at a community college that I started out in that space myself. So it's kind of my background there. I am a huge advocate for community college, especially in these times and days. Mm -hmm. And I feel like going into a four-year university as an 18-year-old where you don't know what you want to do is just kind of crazy in, in my mind, mm -hmm. like looking back and thinking back on it and that's why I always think it's it's so important when I do see someone who I want to interview for this podcast, who we hold with such high esteem and I see them going to community college, I want to like bring up that perspective because I think it's a conversation that we need to have as a society. Absolutely. That is, is so much more, there's so much that you can gain from maturing and being in community college and just really understanding what you want to do. As as Ronald said, you could still go in at your senior year and live, in, live on dorms and get yeah. those experiences as well. <laughs> um, it's just really, really, um, admirable to hear that and shout out to, to all that work that you've done thank you thank you and and you've been both the president of the michigan public health association and the great lakes or greater lakes chapter of the society for health education i don't know if it's greater greater one of them but mm -hmm. you were the president for both of those organizations what were some big takeaways or lessons that you've had from from those presidential experiences Oh, yes. Um, so, you know, it's service to me has always, I think, been um, ingrained in my brain, right? And so when you go out and you start working in your field, um, what are you giving back to the community, right? And so these are spaces, both with the Michigan Premier or the Michigan Public Health um, Association, as well as the, the Great Lakes chapter of SOFI. Um, those were spaces where I was able to sort of take my expertise and work alongside others that have the similar common interests um, in our local area and, and make an impact, right? Um, with Michigan Public Health Association, I was there um, in, in the presidential role in an interesting time. I was um, actually the president during the Flint water crisis. Um, so we had a lot of, you know, real time response, action, um, commentary and service that was given uh, to our community in Genesee County um, during the Flint water crisis. Um, so I feel like that was a huge takeaway. It was also a time 
of a bit of transition for um, the organization. We were um, starting off and sort of launching, uh, getting students more involved um, at that, you know, sort of younger level, um, future public health professionals and sort of helping to inspire them to service work and association-based work. Um, I also, you know, as the president of, of Michigan Public Health Association, uh, APHA is also incredibly supportive of the affiliates, um, which I, to this day, am very grateful for uh, the opportunity to have been able to travel twice to Washington, D.C., on behalf of our state um, and receive uh, a very high level training from uh, the American Public Health Association uh, to bring back um, best practices, being alongside, I, I sort of, I joked the first year um, with some colleagues that were around me, my, my friends from Mississippi and New York, and I, I said, this is like the beauty pageant of public health, right? Where there's someone here from every state and we're all sharing our our highs and our lows um, of what's, what's happening in our states. And so I, I feel like, you know, personally, I, I think there was a lot of opportunity for me uh, for growth through those uh, organizations. With GLC Sophie, um, I also had a really great year as president because the same year that I was president of uh, the Great Lakes chapter, uh, the national president for Sophie was Dr. Jean Brenny, and she um, was my mentor at Southern Connecticut State University. So here I am as Great Lakes chapter president, and Jean was national president of Sophie, and so um, I created an entire conference around um, health equity and photo voice is the work that she does. And I brought that all to Michigan um, to be able to share with our colleagues um, in the Great Lakes region uh, via my mentor of 20 plus years. So that was also, I think, a really exciting takeaway. But a lot of, you know, opportunity for real-time public health issues and response um, with both organizations, just trying to grow, you know, it's volunteer organizations. So it's something that's always tricky, right, is being able to engage people and get them excited and spend their volunteer time to dedicate to the field. But um, I had a really great experience uh, leading both of those um, organizations. I'm still really involved with both. Um, and I'm proud of that work. It's, it's, you know, 10 plus years uh, that I've been very connected to both organizations and um, they do, they do great work, you know, and, and it's, um, it is an added extra service and it's something that I feel really um, passionate about. Yeah. Well, thank you for your service and definitely <laughs> doesn't go unnoticed that great work that you do there as well. And before we get on, we move on to Diana. I have one last question for you, sure. Renell. So can you talk a little bit about your progression of your role in academia, starting as an assistant professor for allied health sciences in 2008 to where you are now? Sure, sure. So I shared a little bit earlier during my education career that I started out at community college teaching Wellness 101. And I think that was really the inspiration that said to me, you know, I've, I had done work in health and fitness and I worked in an um, internal uh, medical practice for a while. I did my research work with the adolescent asthma study. And academics really wasn't like on my forefront of where I thought I was going to land in my uh, my career. Um, but however, the, the teaching experience I had in New York, I think really set the tone, right? So I went on, got my EDD um, and had my eyes set on returning home, right? So home, state of Michigan, um, my family was missing me after about, I think I was out East for about 10 years. Um, and I was ready. I was ready to have grass between my toes again and a place to park my car and, you know, all the luxuries of living in West Michigan. Um, and so I, I set my eyes on, on, on academics and, and that's essentially where I landed. So I, I applied for an assistant professor position in allied health sciences. And um, I love to tell this story. I actually, in my interview, 
you. Um, I had come home to Michigan and I was looking around and I'm like, where are all the public health people? Like the trained folks that have public health education in, in West Michigan at the time, uh, we were really growing um, in the Grand Rapids area where I'm, where I live now um, with healthcare. We had three major healthcare systems. Everyone was talking about health hospitals and um, pop-up clinics were popping up everywhere. And there was just a ton of investment in clinical healthcare, but there were no public health people. And so um, I kind of looked around and I was like, I feel like my people are missing, right? And so I went into this uh, this um, interview with uh, the assistant professor position for Allied Health Sciences. And in my interview, I said, I really want to work here and I would love to take this position in Allied Health Sciences teaching undergrad. However, I'm noticing something very interesting and it's very bothersome to me. I think we need a public health program. And I, I remember looking at the faces at the table, it was a boardroom table, probably 10 or 10 or so people around the room. And they all looked at me like, Is she, does she want this job? And I was like, no, I do. I want this job, but I actually have bigger <laughs> goals for the job. And so I, I gave this little like off the cuff pitch about why the university needed a public health program at the master's level. And so what I didn't know is that the president at the time um, of our university had a public health background. So he went to the University of Michigan, had an epidemiology background. And so full circle, I get the job as an assistant professor and I get a knock on my door about a year into working at the university from the president himself. And he said, someone told me that in your interview, you were interested in starting a public health program. Are you, were you serious about that? And I said, absolutely. I think we need a public health program. There is none in this area. And he said, I'm, I'm going to hold you to that. And so it began. So I was tasked with writing, designing, and launching an MPH program at the university. And so after about four years of um, working in the Allied Health Sciences undergrad program and teaching for that, that um, program, I launched an MPH program. Uh, that I dreamt up. It, and so since 2013, I have launched, led, and run um, a public health program for 11 years that's had almost 400 alumni graduates from it. And it all came from me saying a crazy couple of sentences in an interview. And um, I've gone up the ranks in, in the um, education you know, field. So I've got, I, I went from assistant professor to associate and uh, received full tenure and promotion at that time. And a couple of years ago, went up for full professor. Um, I've actually been in academia now for 16 years. So I've, I've gone up the ranks and uh, yeah, I, I would say career-wise, the greatest accomplishment in my academic side of public health has is, is definitely been saying uh, something very lofty and that I, I think we need a public health program and, and then being held to it. That is amazing from ideation to pitching to actually it coming full, full circle that uh, I could only imagine. Like, I feel like that's a very, that's a very rare instance that probably might yeah. not have happened anywhere else in the U S so yeah. kudos to you for, for doing that work and just <laughs> highlighting and realizing just like, the importance of public health and mm -hmm. that there was that opportunity to create that pathway for people to get more experience and, and uh, expertise in public health in Michigan. So sure. uh, shout out to you. Thank you. Okay. So Diana, mm. you worked at the CDC for over 13 years, mm. <laughs> starting as a trainer in the strategic national stockpile, then becoming the first and only public private partnerships lead for the agency for seven years. Mm and finally running that COVID-19 vaccine pharmacy partnership 
with the Immunization Services Division. Can you talk more about developing and using your skill sets around cross-discipline um, strategies and partnerships? Sure, absolutely. So I think I mentioned this earlier, but you know, all of public health is building relationships. You know, no one person can do this work alone. Um, and you can just extrapolate on that. No one organization can do it alone. No one discipline can do it alone. Uh, and so I was working, I considered, I've always considered the groups I'm working with partners, right? Like it's gotta be a give and take. There's gotta be that trust. We have to lean on each other for each other's expertise. So that's the mindset I've always gone into public health with from the 10 years I did uh, adolescent HIV prevention and STD um, and pregnancy uh, uh, prevention work uh, to um, preparedness and response to this like kind of formalized partnership role, which we're starting to see more and more in um, public health. And I'm really excited about that. Um, the nice thing about CDC uh, is if, if you can become a Fed, um, you can move around. Uh, within the organization. So so the one luxury I had was coming in under the strategic national stockpile, which was what I had been doing on the local level in Connecticut before I came to Atlanta, um, basically on the other side of the grant, was I was able to travel around the country and stay connected to local health departments and state health departments, which was amazing. Um, but it was I was traveling 60 to 70% of the time which is a real sacrifice uh, um, and it, it loses its glamour really quickly. So I was, <laughs> I was building up those partnerships, but I was like, okay, this is rough uh, and ended up migrating up to the office of the director in preparedness and response um, under Dr. Ali Khan and uh, Dr. Dan Sawson and Lynn Austin, amazing team. Uh, Angela Schwartz. And so I ended up working in the policy office. And there's this book called Strengths Finders. You've probably talked about it before. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've done it, right? I mean, it's it's kind of like anything. It could disc and Myers-Briggs and the others all have, have something. But in my five strengths, one of them was woo, winning others over. And I was taking an elevator ride with our policy director, Angela Schwartz. And I said, you know, she said, what were those, you know, we all did it in the, in the team. And I said, yeah, I had this one called woo. I have no idea. And she stopped in her tracks and said, you're a woo. Uh, you need to run, you need to be on our new partnerships team. We're building one and we want you to be on it. <laughs> so for, so literally it was that goofy little, like five strengths of the strengths finders. I mean, I'm not discounting it. It, it changed my career path. Um, that was in like 2011. And since then, uh, I had worked in preparedness and response policy partnerships. So the the response groups within the preparedness and response groups within ASTO and NATO and uh, CSTE and a lot of um, uh, partners in DC, federal partners, private sector and philanthropy. And then I got a call from the office of the director of the entire agency uh, and um, Becky Payne uh, was the deputy chief of staff at the time. And she said, I want you to do partnerships for the entire agency. So not just the, the Center for Preparedness and Response, but for all, at that time, 16,000 of us in the 14 centers, institute and offices. I couldn't turn it down. Um, and so <laughs> it was really neat. It was a unique role. We didn't have an office of uh, external affairs like a lot of other federal agencies do. CDC is in a unique position because it's in Atlanta, headquartered in Atlanta and not in DC. Um, and so at the time, uh, our small team became um, um, the way to coordinate people from within inside the agency on how to talk 
to private sector who are partners, right? And to philanthropy, and then also how, how to be um, a gateway, a facilitator of relationships from the outside in federal government and all of public health is a little um, risk averse when it comes to working with private sector. Um, but, you know, I kept making the point and I will to this to this day, you know, they're not the dark side. You know, they might think vaccine manufacturers aren't so great, but we talk about getting vaccinated. So we need the vaccine manufacturers at the table, right? So, so um, it was, it was, it's always been around that cross-discipline piece, getting people on the same page, um, explaining things to those different organizations about why they really are um, working towards the same, the same benefits. So it's about communicating on their level and um, in their words, translating, which is a lot of public health, right? Right, right. And what what does successful like partnerships of private public look like? And like, what what are the kind of goals that you're going in there with? Or is it just trying to see where people have synergies where they can move forward? Like, what does that look uh, like? I mean, it's all over the place. You know, the nicest thing about public health is when someone asks you a direct question, your answer is always it depends. Like that's that's it, it depends. Um, it could be anything from um, getting a group that has a massive network uh, uh, with a, an intended audience, being able to share public health messaging, the, like the most current data driven public health messaging to full research projects that are collaborative, um, you know, in preparedness and response, which was an area I spent a ton of time in. Um, it was leaning on um, private sector that had a footprint in a location where there was some sort of outbreak and helping them guide people to the best health that, that we could, you know, health interventions. Uh, it really varied, really varied. And it was always a benefit to the, to the private sector and the philanthropies that were engaging um, because one, they were learning the right public health but, and they could start making decisions, whether it was large corporations making decisions in HR on what sorts of um, policies. You know, we talk about, I mentioned ACEs, um, you know, the team in, in injury prevention who were working on adverse childhood events set a framework for um, HR departments and corporations to change leave policies for family care which is one of the interventions to prevent ACEs. So, I mean, just really amazing things that could happen in partnerships from policy to communications to research. You've spent an extensive time working at the CDC, transitioning from roles uh, and throughout the organization. What kind of advice do you have for someone that's probably early in their professional <laughs> career and they would like to have a long, illustrious career at the CDC? Uh, well, I mean, you know, first you got to get in through the system and everybody gets a job there through usajobs.gov or through one of the many fellowships. Uh, and so there's a fellowships and internships pages uh, page on the CDC website. So that's it. Those are the ways in. Um, you can also do, there's a couple of consulting firms that, uh, that do work through there. So Guidehouse and, and, um, and uh, um, O-Rise and a couple of other kinds of groups that, that um, focus in their Deloitte. But really, if you want to be at CDC and become a Fed, um, once you're in, there's quite a bit of flexibility. And they do a, a pretty great job at training um, new federal employees, and they focus on career development annually. And um, so there's a lot of opportunity. And then raising your hand to do response work. 
Um, you just meet people that you would never meet before. And there's a global rapid response team. There are domestic response teams. Um, a lot of it can be virtual now. So there's tons of flexibility. You just got to get in. <laughs> Un understandably. And I know it's not an easy task to get mm -hmm. in, but you got to persevere. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And on your LinkedIn profile, mm -hmm. you listed government ethics ah. as a specialty. I want to know... Um, I know what a government is and does <laughs> and what ethics is, but tell us more about the intersection of government. Ethics. Okay. So this is an interesting one because I'm going to even focus in further into a microcosm of government ethics. And that's um, the ethics of public private partnerships. Um, and I've got some publications on the work and there's a small peer group across the nation who works on this. Um, but baby, basically what it is, is going into an engagement with a non-governmental group like private sector or philanthropy um, knowing, having done the research and the checks and balances to make sure that you are going in with a partner that has no conflicts of interest or perceived conflicts of interest. Again, I mentioned that, you know, in public health, folks are pretty risk averse about working with, I'm just going to say private sector. Um, and it's very important to be thinking about, um, you know, what's the reputation of this organization? Um, what are their goals? Are they, are they, you know, if they're benefiting, does that benefit match what we're going to be getting out of it? And so um, I've done, I did a bunch of work at CDC, but then again, publications focused on uh, what health departments should be doing around reviewing all partnerships prior to getting into them. And, you know, being really excited about some big national brand, but then really looking at the focus of that organization. And um, the best way to do it is to create a board or a review council that you're getting many, many voices, a legal voice, a public health ethics voice. So public health ethics, meaning like, you know, um, 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 responsible um, research and public health interventions, right, um, to communities. Also, um, uh, a scientific uh, perspective, a policy perspective, you know, looking, getting all these voices at the table. So your partnerships start out as transparent uh, and as um, responsible as possible. So it's a really focused um, uh, uh, field. However, with public health budgets going down, with public health resources always low, uh, those partnerships are necessary. So going in eyes wide open and setting up uh, um, guardrails at the beginning is the most important thing. I think public health schools, Renell, should be doing more to teach uh, the ethics of public-private partnerships. <laughs> yes, agreed, agreed. <laughs> and it's one of the things, Omari, we're doing with our company is offering that kind of very niche expertise uh, to organizations that want to partner. And that's a great transition. So at Parcel Health Consulting, as we spoke a lot about earlier, you'll have a mission to provide curriculum design strategy and training programs to meet the current and future demands of the healthcare industry. We spoke about how you all got this founded, how you all worked long nights for a long period of time before actually launching this. You spoke about building up subject matter experts and, and you're really shifting from, I guess, state level work, community level work to project focus work, which I guess could also be state or, yeah. <laughs> or um, community level work um, within that. So how have you all worked at building out your portfolio and what types of projects do you all work most on at the moment? Um, so, I mean, I think that's a pretty quick answer, Rinell, if you don't mind. Uh, 
it's it varies it depends omari um you know we we've got we've got relationships with um massive multinational corporations on a very focused public health uh engagement to um helping set up strategies for national um um partnerships to um trainings on workforce development and public health workforce development, um, soft skills, adaptive learning skills. Uh, And so it really varies. And then there's a sprinkle of preparedness and response because once you're involved, it's really hard to get out. And it's a very small community of uh, public health preparedness and response folks. And we never really go away. So, So we're doing a little bit of that too. And what did it look like for your first projects? Like what, what, what did that look like? I don't know. I, I pretty natural. They were natural out, outgrowths of relationships that we had before. And, um, you know, we both bring strengths to it and we've known each other for so long that it was pretty easy to say, Hey, that's not my field. Like what, you know, what do you know about that? And our, and mm-hmm. our partners, um, I have kind of eased us into it, right? They haven't expected us to have full shine and gloss and, and, you know, whatever, but we just, we came at it with, with trust and responsibility and then professionalism. And so they've been, they've been pretty great so far. And as a consulting firm, what are the opportunities that you're seeing going forward? And I guess this, this could also be, it depends, but <laughs> is there anything like specific that, that you're seeing going forward that, that are opportunities for the work and, and in, in the work that you're doing? Yeah, I think, um, you know, we've we've just got our feelers out in lots of spaces, right? So we talked so much about how important it is to to form the relationships. And um, we, you know, I don't think a day goes by that either one of us isn't in a space somewhere where Parasol <laughs> Health Consulting comes up because, you know, public health is everywhere, right? So, um, you know, whether we're with our families and traveling in an airport and sit down just next to somebody and start chatting, it ultimately will become the work we do in public health somehow, some way, right? So um, I think, you know, for us on the horizon, we're, we're very open. I mean, we have conversations with so many different organizations. Like Diana mentioned earlier, everything from other consulting firms that we can partner with mm-hmm. um, to organizations we've never talked to or touched before to ones that we know incredibly well, like our national organizations in public health, you know. So we're always having the conversations. I think we do um, really well at having Having um, a lot of great, like 30 minute introductions, tell uh, organizations who we are, what we do, and almost instantaneously can we hear their first introduction sentences to know exactly where we could fit and help um, from the consulting side. So, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about workforce development. I think we've mentioned that a couple of times during the podcast today. training and training up, you know, that next generation, there's just a lot of eyes because of, um, you know, the, the retirement and the early retirement and the burnout that we saw from COVID-19, um, we're experiencing that, right. And we're feeling it and hearing it from our partners when we meet with them, um, about what they need, uh, to be able to be sustainable and go forward, um, in these, uh, very different times. Right. So we've been talking about that a lot. Um, trainings, you know, we've we've attended and, and been a part of um, a number of different conferences and spaces where, um, 
you know, their, their specialty areas, um, that we're, we're looking at for consulting projects in the future. So, you know, we're, we're always kind of, I think eyes wide open to whatever projects organizations, um, have for us. Uh, I think we've taken some risks in terms of, um, applying for some RFPs that have been incredibly lengthy and, you know, have really taken a lot of time for us to, to build and learn from, um, in spaces that we have to pull those subject matter experts into, um, so we have a whole team of folks that are represented on those applications. So I, I feel like there's a there's a lot of opportunity, um, and it, it doesn't take us long to figure out where our our fit can be with those projects when we talk about them. Did you want to add anything? No, there? I mean I, it's kind of you also went into kind of you know advice for for new people with that with those you know mm -hmm. the people leaving public health or moving careers uh, post COVID. Um, there's so much opportunity right now. Before we get back to the show, are you looking to be part of a community of like-minded people to grow your public health career and impact? Come join the Early Access Waitlist. If you feel like you're forever balancing competing priorities, struggle to stay up to date with the newest trends in public health, or want to upskill your professional development, you're not alone. Come join our growing community of public health changemakers where you can connect authentically, create meaningful relationships, build your brand, and discuss various career and public health insights. Early access to the community will open for a brief period of time starting on February 14th. So be sure to join the waitlist so you have the opportunity to be a founding member and help us build a stronger public health community together. Now back to the show. Absolutely. And along with that is like, what are the lessons that you'll have learned in building this consulting firm? I know that you all mentioned earlier, you'd be like, oh, I just, we just hopped off that call. That was a learning lesson. <laughs> or like, you'll just learn something. What, what are the, some of the biggest lessons or like, maybe even advice for people that are thinking about starting a high level consulting firm like this? Um, I have learned from Ronell that you always go with your gut. We've had a couple of calls where I've been like really trying to make it fit, right? Like fit the square peg in the round hole. And I'm like, no, no, I really think we can do this, but something feels off and we'll find out. And Ronell will say, nope, we're not, we're not going to take that on. We're not going to do it. And then six months later, we find out that it was a great decision. Um, and so Ronell has been really good about like not hesitating. You go with your gut. Um, and she's taught me that and keeps reminding me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think time, you know, I think one of the things as new um, female small business entrepreneurs, um, you know, I think we and we're very much both last very full um, personalities, I think, um, <laughs> is that, you know, everything's not perfect, right? And, and that these relationships, um, you know, take time. And, you know, we go into introductory meetings and then um, we don't hear back, you know, and it's um, it's like, gosh, you know, we are here being high level professionals and starting off and launching this business. And why did they not respond? However, six months down the road, we hear back from them. Right. And so I think sometimes it was hard for us, I think, in the in the beginning to realize like the investment of relationship building and um, follow up and follow through on our, our behalf um, and then what it ultimately can become. And I, I don't know. I know for me personally, I, I, I think because we have so much experience and we know so many um, individuals in our field of public health that I think we thought this was going to come a little easier, but I, I would I would say, you know, advice to someone going into consulting is, is that this is not easy. 
right? And so regardless of how many partners that you have or um, relationships you already have formed, it's it's at the next level when you're talking about doing one-on-one project-based work for an organization. And public health doesn't have uh, the money we would like to have it have, you know? I mean, I think that's also a big thing is that um, everyone needs parasol health consulting. I think that's something that we know and we have felt, you know, as we as we meet new partners and we re-engage with with long, you know, relationships we had forever, is that everyone wants our consulting firm to help them with that project. The the next step though is is either finding the funding, and we've been in spaces where um, people have said yes, and then you need to find us the funding, right? Or um, we want this, but the budget may be cut in this space, so we have to be a little cautious. And so, you know, I think it's an interesting space in public health, and it's something that we both experience in our other careers besides consulting that um, funding and support and resources matter. Right. And so um, that's taken some time to navigate, I think for us. Yeah. I appreciate those insights. That's, that's very, very helpful. And maybe just very quickly, what are some of the things that we can look forward to from Parasol Health Consulting? Oh, just lots of really cool projects um, at the state local and national level and bringing public health to organizations that don't necessarily have public health in their name. Love it. (laughs) Love it. And as I said earlier, this was a brief summary of the, the, the journey career journeys of Diane and Ronell. They uh, have done amazing things, continue to do amazing things in public health. So definitely connect with them on LinkedIn and you can find the links to Parasol Health Consulting below as well to check that out and see if you're interested in that or just learning more. Um, so to move on to the Furious Five, and I guess maybe it's the Furious 10 because it's five times two. Awesome. So there's the five questions I ask all guests on the podcast. So number one. What advice would you give to a student trying to pursue a career in public health? Now's a great time to start. Because of those retirements and career moves of older generations, and since the pandemic opened the door, there are are ways to build your public health career. Now's a great time to to start your career in public health. Mm -hmm. And I would echo that. And also my, my short and sweet statement is you are needed. You are needed in our field um, as the next generation. Ditto both of those. <laughs> Number two, if you were talking to someone wanting to get into consulting, or will you answer mm. that? So let, let's, let, me, let me rephrase mm. that question. So Number two, if you were talking to someone wanting to get into your positions mm. outside of consulting, what advice would you give them? Mine is spend time in the community, um, work in local health departments, um, meet the people that you want to be supporting before you work on projects to support them. Um, it's the most genuine approach to benefiting the health of a population. That's mine. And mine with the other side of the brain said, join us. <laughs> we have spaces in subject matter expertise in our, in our um, consulting firm. So join us. There you go. Work with us. Love it. Number three, what's something you're working on improving in your life right now? For me, it's social connectedness and service in the community. Um, I'm on two local boards and I'm giving back to causes I believe in um, where my family lives, works and plays. You've heard it from us before, but I'm a, I'm, I believe in service boards and, um, and impacting my community at a hyper local level. I love that, Diana. <laughs> you're doing that so well. For me, one word, balance. 
Um, so just being able to uh, do everything I like to juggle and, and attempting to do it well in a as, um, semblance of balance. Number four, professionally, do you recommend anything? Oh, I'm a big podcaster. I, I listening to podcasts, including yours, Omari. But I, I love podcasts, and I'm going to recommend recommend 99% Invisible. And for those folks who don't know it, it's hosted by Roman Mars. It is not a public health podcast, however. Design and the built environment creates both intended and unintended consequences to public health. Think about uh, curb cuts and sidewalks for ease of mobility to wheelchairs, low spikes on retaining walls so people can't sit down, park benches with divided armrests so people can't lay down, blocks designed for kindergartners to help their development, design worlds all around us, and there are major social determinants of health we just don't notice. So 99% invisible. I love that. Um, I also have a podcast uh, recommendation that I like. It's a kind of more of a funny one. Um, it's called This Podcast Will Kill You. Um, and it is, uh, do you know it? Okay, good. I love yes. it. Um, epidemiologists <laughs> and economists, and they talk about public health and the connection to public health. Um, and then I also, I have, um, I'm like a fangirl to uh, Boston College's Dean of Public Health, um, Sandro Galea. <laughs> Uh, really badly. And he writes more books than I think my bookshelf can hold any longer. Um, and I get them <laughs> regularly. And so in every, it's always on a very current public health issue. Um, so anything by Dr. Sandro Galea um, out of Boston College is always a, like a fan favorite for me. Thank you so much for, for uh, recommending those. I'll put those in the show notes for anyone that's interested. And I will definitely have to add that to my reading and listening lists. <laughs> Um, and then number five, last but not least, if there was one piece of advice you can give your younger self, what would it be? Semper Gumby. Um, I don't know if everyone on your show knows Gumby, so I'm not going to get into that. People can Google who Gumby was. Um, but um, I learned it in my preparedness and response days, and it just means always be flexible because um, public health careers take on so many forms and your role is going to change multiple times over the years. And it can be really excited if you go with it. Um, so Semper Gumby. I like that. Um, mine is take the risk. Um, so I think, you know, there's a lot of opportunities to take the risk. Uh, Diana and I through Parasol Health Consulting are taking the risk. Um, we're taking it a little later in our career. Uh, and I don't regret that one bit, but um, I think there's other spaces I could have maybe taken other risks and, um, you know, I would have done that maybe 20 years ago. Someone would have said, <laughs> do it. <laughs> <laughs> love that love that well Ronell and diana thank you all so much for coming on sharing a little bit about your career journeys about paracel health consulting and about the amazing work that you'll continue to do i truly truly appreciate this and i look forward to staying connected with Amari, you thank you for what thank you, you do yeah this was great amari thank you so much it was a pleasure pleasure is mine uh quick housekeeping items everyone thank you all so much for watching be sure to subscribe if you have not as yet leave a review and share it with a friend see you all next week peace